Over 2,500 years ago, the holy city of Jerusalem was conquered by a hostile foreign army. Many of the Israelites were captured and taken to live as exiles in the enemy city, Babylon. The book of Daniel tells us the story of how God equipped his people to live faithfully during this time of captivity, in a place with very different values than their own. As we seek to follow God in our world today, we can learn a lot from Daniel's journey. His story shows us how we can live faithfully, with hope, wisdom, and integrity, as strangers and exiles. All right, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, husbands, this is just a reminder. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. What that is, is a holiday where romance and love is celebrated. And so you may need to pick your wife up a card this afternoon on your way home. Um, and maybe Super Bowl is on the brain for you, but just a reminder, just a reminder. And, and really, it was kind of nefarious that the NFL push the Super Bowl back an extra week and put it right up against Valentine's Day because, I mean, what do they expect us to do, right? Just kidding. Um, because, as you know, there's only one team for me, and they will not be in the Super Bowl anytime soon, so it's just an opportunity to eat wings uh, and chili for me. I don't even know who's playing in the Super Bowl this year. Ray, do you have any idea? <laughs> Okay, okay. No, I, I hope you uh, have fun tonight. Um, Brooke and I have a community group at our house, and we're, we're hosting tonight, um, and we'll, we'll have some fun together and, um, and get people out before the game really gets going, uh, and then I'm going to bed, so, um, and I'll, I'll learn tomorrow, you know, about all the great commercials and, uh, and who won the game. No, but uh, the Super Bowl, I mean, it's, it's like a holiday, you know, in our culture, in our world. And, um, and Valentine's Day, this idea of love and romance and all that that means, I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry. Maybe some of you had a date night already in the last couple of days, or you have one coming up this week. Maybe you bought gifts and, and invested in things. And in, in, in our world, there is a uh, just things that we celebrate. We celebrate, you know, sports and athletics and the, the Winter Olympics is going on right now. Did anybody not know that the Winter Olympics was happening? It just kind of slipped in under the radar for me. I did get to watch some of the half-pipe competition and, you know, America dominated in that, so I'm feeling good about that. We didn't do so great in, uh, you know, the biathlon where you just ski and shoot a gun, which sounds like a pretty awesome event to me. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we celebrate these kind of competitions and athletics, and, and we celebrate love and romance and relationships, and, and this kind of season reminds us of that. It's part of kind of our, our cultural identity, the things that in this world that we value, the things that we celebrate. And we've been in this series called Strangers and Exiles, and we've been looking at the comparison of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. This morning we opened up with a song that just said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a phrase that comes from the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught his disciples where he says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, just that statement, that song, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that there is a kingdom of God 
the kingdom of God and, and the will of God. And there is a kingdom of this world. That's why Jesus says, let your kingdom come into the kingdom of this world. Let your will be done in the kingdom of this world. There is a kingdom of this world and there is a kingdom of God and they are at odds with one another. And we think about the things that we celebrate and value in our world and our culture. And the United States have, has a specific expression of culture. We, as a nation, any nation in the world is part of the kingdom of this world. And we have different things that we celebrate and value. And, and sometimes we think our culture is better than that culture over there because we celebrate the right things and they celebrate the wrong things. And that may be true in some areas, but the fact is the kingdoms of this world are not focused on the things of God. The kingdoms of this world are, are focused on our own desires, our own will, our own little kingdoms and setting up ourselves and lifting up ourselves. We're going to look at this morning um, pride. Pride is a, is a, is a strange concept for a lot of us. Um, we, we know that pride is wrong, but we also are proud of certain things. And we know, you know, I'm proud of my kids. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of things that, uh, that I've done and accomplished. And there's a, and there's a value and, and there's even a, a goodness to, a, to the right kind of pride. But we're going to talk about a, a kind of pride this morning that is... Um, that God deals with pretty harshly in the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5, and I'm going to kind of give you the, the highlights of those stories and the application for us today. But as we live in the kingdom of this world and try to live faithfully as God's people, as strangers and exiles, in other words, we live for the values of the kingdom of God, but we live in the kingdom of this world, and because of that, there's tension and there's conflict. And first, we must recognize that we live in a world that is trying to gain our attention and trying to gain our affection and trying to gain our loyalty and, and trying to cause us to embrace all of its values. The American dream, right? Even, even thinking about legacy can, can be a, a value of the kingdom of this world that we accumulate and that we gain and that we make a name for ourselves. So we're going to look at that this morning. We must recognize that we live in a kingdom that's priorities are different than the kingdom of God. And and as such, we are called to live differently. We are called to live faithfully. Last week, we just looked at the idea of, of living engaged, living a life that is engaged with the world around us. Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were these four Hebrew young men from the city of Jerusalem. They were taken captive by the Babylonian army. King Nebuchadnezzar ruled the Babylonian empire at that time. It was the greatest empire in the world. And he brought these young men to live in his capital city and he wanted to teach them the values and the priorities of the kingdom of Babylon. But Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they decided that they would live faithful to God's call on their life, to the values of the kingdom of God. And so they lived differently. 
They were engaged in the kingdom of Babylon. They were engaged in the world around them, but they lived true to God's calling on their life. In our own lives, we can't be people who isolate ourselves. You know, sometimes Christian people do that. They say, oh, that's bad over there, and so I'm going to stay away, and I'm going to isolate myself from that stuff. That's not what Daniel and these young men did. They didn't isolate themselves. Sometimes we assimilate and we become just like the culture and the kingdom of the world that is around us. We embrace all of its values and priorities. We can't do that either because then we're not living faithfully to the kingdom of God. And Daniel and these young men, they didn't assimilate and become just like the culture around them. They lived differently. Sometimes we're tempted to just be angry and to fight everybody around us, right? And, and Daniel and these young men, they didn't do that either. They lived faithfully. They took a stand, and, and sometimes that put them in harm's way. In fact, Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. The, the other three young men were thrown into a fiery furnace because they stood for truth, but they didn't fight. They said, we, we have to obey God, and if that means we get in trouble, then that's what it means, and God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to be faithful. And in our own lives, we're called to live faithfully, not to isolate, not to assimilate, not to fight and hate, but to engage, to make a difference. And, and, we, and we ended with this statement last week, because Babylon needed Daniel, and our world needs us. Babylon needed Daniel to live engaged and faithfully, and our world needs us to live engaged lives making a difference in the world around us. And as a result, we, we see that even the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, his heart was softened to the things of God. Well, let me read. Um, we're, so now we're going to jump into kind of the, the pride of the kingdom of Babylon and, and, and then some application in our own lives. But I, I want to read a verse out of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 2. Verses 15 through 17, because it kind of sets up what we're going to talk about this morning. So let me, let me read it to you. John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he's talking about the kingdom values and priorities of the world, right? The kingdom of the world. He, he doesn't mean don't love the people in the world. He doesn't mean don't love the creation of the world for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And what John is talking about here is, is the, the priorities of the world. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because the kingdom of God is opposed to the kingdom of the world. He continues, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that is looking around and saying, ooh, I need that. Ooh, if I had that, that would make me happy. Ooh, they, they have more than I do, and so I live with jealousy and bitterness and resentment. And, I, and this, this our, our culture right now, we live in, right, um, the, the American economy is called a consumer economy. We just consume and we want and we, and, and the amount of money that will be spent on advertising at the Super Bowl tonight to make us want something that we don't need. That if we just have this thing, then we're really going to be happy, right? The lust of the eye, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's 
possessions. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Again, kingdom of God, kingdom of the world. And then he ends with this, the world with its lusts is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. He reminds us there is a kingdom of the world, there is a kingdom of God. The values of the kingdom of the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, of one's own possessions. And these things are passing away. One day they will come to an end. And if you have built your life on that foundation, you will be left wanting. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. In Daniel chapter 2, we saw Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about the kingdoms of the world, and it ends with this phrase, in those days, in verse 44, Daniel 2, 44, in those days, uh, in the days of those kings, the God of heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. There is a kingdom of this world. There is a kingdom of God. And one of them will last forever and the other one absolutely will not. And how we respond to that is either in pride or humility. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. And we thank you that in your love, you reveal truth to us. Because when we live in your truth, we are living the way you designed us for flourishing and joy and contentment and fulfillment. But Lord, we confess that often in our pride, we hold on to our own priorities. So this morning, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see areas where we are living in pride. Open our eyes to see areas where you're trying to correct us. And then, Lord, give us the humility to turn from those things so that we can be exalted through your Son. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You know, he's the most powerful man who's lived at this time in history. He's conquered all of the known world at this time. And, And Scripture tells us that he's brought in these captives, not only from Jerusalem, but from all the places that he's conquered, and he's made them part of his kingdom, and he's tried to convince them of, of, of his values and the values of his kingdom. Even these, even these young Hebrew men who worship the one true God, the God of Israel, tried to convince them to, to embrace his values and his gods. And, and Daniel and these young men, they, they lived faithfully. And as a result, God blessed them. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream in uh, Daniel chapter 2. And, and the only person who can give him the interpretation to the dream is Daniel because God revealed it to him. Then in Daniel chapter 3, again, Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant statue And he says, everybody has to bow down and worship it. When the music plays, you hit the ground and you bow down and worship the statue. And if you don't, you're getting thrown in the fire. And these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down. And so Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fire. 
before he does, he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. Bow down. And they said, I, we can't do it. <laughs> We're not going to worship an idol that is not God. So if it makes sense to throw us in the fire, then, then that's what you have to do. But what we have to do is be faithful to God. Maybe God will save us, but even if he doesn't, oh king, we will not bow down. He throws him in the fire and the story goes that someone shows up in the fire with them and rescues them. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, that looks like the son of God. And God sends his angel, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, who meets them in the fire, delivers them. And Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, well, there's no God like this God. And even though Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that there is a God and that he's powerful, he, he, he doesn't quite give up on his pride. Because we see in chapter 4 that his pride causes destruction in his life. And maybe you're in here and you say, yeah, sure, there's a God. I believe there's a God. I mean, I believe he's powerful. I look around, there must be a God. But like Nebuchadnezzar, you've never submitted and you're still holding on to pride in some area of your life. Today, God has a message for all of us. So, Chapter 4 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and I'm just going to summarize the dream for you. You can look in your Bible if you want to. But Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about this giant tree, and it grows tall and strong, and its branches go out and cover the earth. And all of the creatures of the earth, they come and they find shelter underneath the tree. They even eat from the tree. It supplies all of their needs. But then an angel comes and cuts down the tree. And it topples over. And all of the creatures, they scurry away. And, and, and there's an iron band that is put around the stump of the tree. And it's left in the ground. And the grass grows up around it and, it. and it survives there as a stump of itself in the ground. And then one day God restores it after seven years. And Nebuchadnezzar can't figure out what this is, and he asks all the wise men, what does this mean? And they don't know. And finally he says, all right, Daniel, what does God have to say about this dream? And Daniel says, well, here's the word of the Lord for you, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, that tree is you. And if you continue to exalt yourself, one day God is going to cut you down for seven years. But then he'll restore you. And, and Daniel says, I, I hope it happens to your enemies and not to you. But if you don't repent of your pride, then this is what's going to happen. So at the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 28, it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, that is 12 months after Daniel told him what was going to happen. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, and the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? He's up on the palace, and he's looking out over the city and goes, Man, I did good. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. 
You'll be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you'll feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky. His hair grew like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned to me, and then I praised the Most High God and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. So what happened? To Nebuchadnezzar. So what was the pride of Nebuchadnezzar? What is this kind of pride that leads to judgment in our lives? Right? It's not just being proud of our kids or being proud of our promotion. This, this pride that this scripture is talking about is a belief that my achievement can replace my need for God. Pride in this context is a belief that my achievement can replace our need for God. I can do it. I can accomplish it. I can make meaning for myself. I can make my own identity. I can make my own way. I can do it. And God says, nah. -uh. Nebuchadnezzar, I gave you that kingdom and I can take it away. And so, the only solution for this kind of pride, this, this pride that says, live your truth, follow your heart, you do you, the only solution is humility. And God in his mercy and grace humbles Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it didn't feel like mercy and grace to Nebuchadnezzar. Felt pretty lousy. For seven years, his kingdom was taken away and he lived like an animal. But it was because of God's mercy that he humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? There is a kingdom of this world and there is a kingdom of God and only one of those kingdoms will last forever. And if you build your life on the kingdom of this world, when that kingdom passes away, so too will your life. But if you build your life on the kingdom of God, which will reign forever, then you will reign forever with Jesus Christ. 
but we live in the kingdom of this world. And so it's hard to take our eyes off of the kingdom of this world and put our eyes on the kingdom of God. And so we struggle with pride, thinking that I, I, I can do it. That was Nebuchadnezzar's sin. And for a guy who had taken over most of the known world, I mean, it would be easy to fall into that kind of pride. And we think, well, I'm not like Nebuchadnezzar. I don't, I mean, I don't look and say, look what I built. But, but we all embrace areas of our life where we think my own accomplishment can satisfy my need for God. It's great to be proud of your kids, but if you think that your kids can fulfill that place that God designed in your heart to only be fulfilled by him, then you have got it wrong. If you think that friendship can satisfy that place in your heart that only God can fulfill, then you've got it wrong. If you think your wealth or your job or your humor or your longevity of life can replace your need for God, then you've got it wrong. And Nebuchadnezzar built his life on his own life, on his own kingdom, but it was taken away. And so God humbled him so that he would recognize that there is something higher than my own achievement. And maybe some of you are in that season. Maybe some of you are being humbled right now by God. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar for his own good. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar out of mercy and love and grace for Nebuchadnezzar because he needed to recognize that the thing that he was building his life on would end in his destruction. And maybe some of you are in that place right now and God is beginning to shake the foundations of your life because they're not good foundations. And God is beginning to take away from you the things that you have put your hope and your trust and your value and your identity and your worth in and you don't understand and you're upset and you're questioning God when the truth is it is for your good. He humbles us because of his mercy and God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and it lasted seven years. That's a long time. It's a long time to be humbled. But at the end of it, it says that Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses and looked up. Said, there is a God in heaven and I am not him. And this morning, if you are in that season of humbling, I encourage you to look up. To look up and recognize that there is a God in heaven and you are not him. And until you submit and humble yourself before him, you'll continue to be shaken. God humbles us for our good. So Nebuchadnezzar, he, he goes through this season of humbling and, and, and God restores him. God restores his kingdom. In fact, he says, it, my kingdom became even better than it was before. It wasn't about achievement. It was about what value he placed on that achievement. But now that achievement took its rightful place in his life. It was no longer his identity. He recognized that there is a God in heaven who gives kingdoms to whoever he wants, and right now he's given it to me. And that's awesome. And he's blessed. 
And Nebuchadnezzar had a long reign. He ruled for over 40 years in Babylon, and then he died. And Babylon was still a great empire when Nebuchadnezzar died. Several rulers came after him. None of them reigned for more than a couple of years in fighting. And the last king was a guy named Nabonidus. And uh, he reigned for about 10 years, and he wandered off into the desert, and, and he didn't really spend any time in the capital city of Babylon. And so he had his son step in and be kind of the co-reigning king with him. Nabonidus' son was a guy named Belshazzar. And in Daniel chapter 5, we learn the story of Belshazzar. He's the king of Babylon, co-regent with his father Nabonidus. But Nabonidus is never in town, and so Belshazzar rules and reigns in the kingdom of Babylon. And it's at this time in the history of Babylon that the Persian Empire to the north is beginning to invade and take over, and they're taking over cities. And Nabonidus is out fighting battles, but Belshazzar, he's back in the capital, and he's living his best life. Chapter 5 tells us that he throws a party. The army of Persia is not far away. So we don't know exactly why he threw this party. Maybe it was because he was living in denial about what was about to happen. Maybe it was because he was living in defiance of what was about to happen. Maybe it was to convince everyone else around him that everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay. But Daniel chapter 5 tells us that he throws this party He's got a thousand of his kind of rulers from the nation and the region of Babylon. And they're partying hard. They get pretty drunk. He brings in his wives and his concubines. And, and that means a specific thing when, when Belshazzar brings the concubines into the party. Unfortunately, at this time in history, these were women who really were kind of in sexual slavery. Trafficked by the king of Babylon. And he brings them into the party. The party takes on a whole nother kind of thing. And then Belshazzar in this kind of crazy sensual revelry says, hey, I remember that Nebuchadnezzar, when he conquered Jerusalem, he got the, the, the goblets and the furniture from the temple in Jerusalem. Go get those. And they bring in these goblets that were meant for worship. He says, let's drink out of those. And they pour wine into these goblets, and they start drinking wine out of the goblets from the house of God, the temple of God, and they begin to worship the gods of gold and silver and bronze, and Belshazzar is just spitting in God's face at this point, right? And it's at that moment in Daniel chapter 5 that we're told this hand appears on the wall. Maybe you've heard the story about the handwriting on the wall. It's something that we even use in our culture today, right? When, oh, I, you can see the writing on the wall, that means this thing's about to come to an end. Uh, you can see the writing on the wall for that guy or for that place or for that company or for those people. And it comes from this story in Daniel chapter 5, and it says that this hand appeared and started to write on the wall, and Belshazzar tells us that he soiled himself. That means what it means. Literally, it says that the knots of his bowels were undone. It was a pretty scary event. And then his knees buckled and he fell to the ground. And he says, somebody's got to tell me what this message on the wall means. And again, they get all the wise men and nobody can say what it means. And one of the 
queen says, hey, there's this guy named Daniel. Now, mind you, this is later in Daniel's life. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 40 years, and there were some other rulers in between there. So Daniel's probably in his 50s or 60s at this point. And they bring him into this crazy party. And Belshazzar says, if you can tell me what this means, I'll give you gold, I'll give you a robe, I'll give you anything you want. I'll make you the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Because Nabonidus is first, Belshazzar is second, and then Daniel would be third. And Daniel says, you can keep your gold and your silver, but I'll tell you what the dream means. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 22. First Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar lived in pride and God humbled him and he repented of his pride. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. The inscription that was written is Mene Mene Tekel Parson. Here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel you have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now that's pretty hardcore, <laughs> right? God writes on the wall, many, many, tekel, parson. And Daniel says, here's what it means. Your days are numbered. It's almost over, Belshazzar. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. Parson, the Persians are coming and Babylon is over. Tells us that that night, just as God said, Belshazzar is killed. The Persian army comes in and begins to rule. These two stories go together. We got Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 who God humbled. And Nebuchadnezzar repented of his pride. And God reestablished him. Then you got Belshazzar who lived in this arrogant pride. I mean, you know, just thumbing his nose at God. And he refuses till the very end. And everything is taken from him. And even this handwriting on the wall, your days are numbered, you've been weighed on the scales, that means judgment is coming. Your kingdom is divided, given to the Medes and Persians. So where we're going to land this morning is pretty heavy. As we live in the kingdom of this world, we can either live like Nebuchadnezzar. When God humbles him, he repents. We can live like Belshazzar, defiant to the very end. And our life will end in judgment. But God in his mercy warns us 
calls us to himself. Nebuchadnezzar turned, said, there is a God and I am not him. Belshazzar died in his rebellion. Reminds me of a verse in James chapter four, the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus. I love James because if anybody might have uh, not believed, will be a guy like James who grew up with Jesus. And in fact, the gospels tell us that James didn't believe in Jesus. The brothers of Jesus didn't believe that he was the Messiah, but then something radical happened. Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, okay. And James is not only now the brother of Jesus, he is a follower of Jesus. A servant of Jesus Christ is how he starts his letter. But in James chapter four, verse seven, he says this, submit, submit. Faith is submission. Faith is not just I believe. Faith is, faith is a belief that leads to submission. If you believe it, then, then, you, then you go all in, you submit to it. If you believe this truth, then you allow that truth to be truth and, and your truth is not truth anymore. You submit to that truth. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. What an incredible promise. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, anytime the scripture talks about being double-minded, it, it's convicting for me. Because it's easy to be double-minded. What does that mean? I, I believe in God. I want to follow God. But <laughs> there's this other thing too, and it's pretty cool. I, I, I want to be known as a child of God, but I also want to be known by my achievements, by my fill-in-the-blank. It's being double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy the gloom. I mean, if we're going to be serious about turning from our pride that says, my achievements, my accomplishments identify me, and I don't need God for that. If we're going to turn from that, then like Nebuchadnezzar, we need to have some grief and some mourning. But I love it because that's not where it ends. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Some preachers used to say it like this, there ain't no high like the most high. <laughs> I mean, you can lift yourself up, but how high is that going to get you? Not very. But if God lifts you up, on the other hand, I mean, that's something. And we get so satisfied in our pride with our achievements and our accomplishments and our name and our identity and our worth and our value and it just doesn't hold up. And God says, Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Your days are numbered. Here's the statistics on death, guys. One out of every one person dies. 
I mean, your days are numbered. That shouldn't be controversial because our days are numbered. And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and when his days come to an end, loses his soul? Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and you have been found wanting. Scripture says it is appointed to every man and woman once to die and after that, there's judgment. And you will either be judged on the weight of your own achievement or, as John talked about this morning, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we are weighed and judged on his achievement, not our own. What did he achieve? He achieved salvation on the cross when he died to pay the penalty for my sins. And, and for some reason, I keep trying to save myself, and it's dumb because he already did it, and I can't do it anyway. So all I'm doing is spinning my wheels. So God warns us, and he says, hey, your days are coming to an end, and you've been weighed in the balance, and, and your achievements are not enough. And your kingdom is passing away. And when your life on earth is over, you don't take anything with you. And so this morning, are you living in pride? Am I living in pride? Lord, reveal areas of my life where I'm living in pride, where I think that my achievements can replace my need for what only God can do. Are you in a season of humbling like Nebuchadnezzar was? I mean, has God just rocked the foundation of your world? I submit to you this morning that that is because of his kindness and goodness and mercy in your life. And maybe you need to look up and say, God, you're God and I'm not. And I submit to you. I'm not building my life on my own achievement anymore. And then, like Belshazzar, one day, one day, one day it really will be over. And that's not, that's not like harsh. I, it's just, it's just the facts. And God in his love invites us into his kingdom. God in his grace invites us into his kingdom. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. If by grace we will respond in faith to his salvation. Not of ourselves, it's not our works so that we can't boast in our pride and say, I did this, I did this, I did this. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? God, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you demonstrated and proved your love for us by sending Jesus Christ. 
to pay the penalty for our pride, rebellion, and sin so that we could be reconciled to you and ushered into your kingdom, a kingdom that will never end, that will never pass away. And forgive us, God, for when we put our hope in the shifting sands of the kingdom of this world and our worth that we make for ourselves and our name that we make for ourselves and our achievement, God, only you can save, only you can redeem, only you can give life, only you can give hope and joy and peace and meaning. Lord, help us to lay down our pride to come to you in humble submission today. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask a question so I can pray for you this morning. Is there anybody who would say this morning, I'm, I'm in a season of humbling I'm in a season right now where God has been shaking the foundations of my life and uh, I, I need you to pray for me that I would seek God in this season. Anybody like that that would just say, that's me. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise God. Anybody else like that this morning? Praise God, praise God, praise God. Lord, I pray for these this morning who recognize this place that they're in. Lord, meet with them today. Lord, Show them that your grace really is sufficient today. Is there anybody who would say this morning, I, I need to come to God in faith today. I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to, to form my own identity, my own salvation. But today I just, I recognize that I need to come to Jesus in faith. Praise the Lord. Anybody else like that this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Well, we're going to sing a song, and as we sing, you have an opportunity to respond. And I would invite some of you to respond. Maybe today, some of you who are, you, you know, maybe God has showed you some areas where he's working on pride in your life. And one of the greatest things that you can do is humble yourself enough to come up here to the front and pray. That is a physical posture of humility and submission, and I would invite you to do that today. Nobody's going to pray with you if you don't want to pray with them, but I'll be right down here. And if you want me to pray with you, I would love to. If today you need to come to faith, I would love to pray with you and walk through that with you. But as we sing this morning, whatever God is working in your heart, I invite you to respond.